I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, coming to you live with our World Cup daily show. I am shattered, I am knackered, I can't wait to go to bed. It's been one of those days, but we promised you World Cup content and so we're going to deliver and soldiering it alongside me is the man, the myth, the legend, Dan DeLuca. Dan, how are you, mate? Um, I'm doing all right. I just... I just had that awkward conversation with my wife, having watched three games of football, and I sat down and explained this for tomorrow. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've come out of that quite well. How are you sort of navigating work around, and I say work around the football rather than the football around work, but how are you kind of managing with that at the moment? Are you working from home? Is it easier to have it on in the background? Um, I've, been, I've been working from home today, so um, I had some creative and um, creative meetings around the England game because uh, I wanted to sit down and watch that properly. There's going to be a few games this World Cup where I'm going to struggle, unfortunately, which has uh, never been a problem before, but um, such is life. But um, yeah. we should be able to, where it's important, we should be able to work, work, our, way, work our way through it. Yeah, Dan, no, dra- head- no drama today. Dan, your headphones have just started crackling mid-show, so if you could pull them out. Uh, just go without a man. I don't know what has happened, but yeah, they just decided midway through your your little monologue there to to just start crackling. Don't worry, it happens. Um, technical shit goes wrong. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's do it then. Let's talk uh, a little bit about uh, England's victory today. Bukayo Saka, one of the stars, but he wasn't the only one for England shining bright this afternoon. Uh, Dan, we talked about this game yesterday, and we thought it would be. A more difficult game for England than maybe people were were sort of suggesting or, or anticipating, but in the end, it was pretty straightforward, as straightforward as as could be, really, at this level. Yeah, I mean, we've got that horribly wrong, really. Oh, Dan, expect- Dan, just just drop out and come back in again, mate. We're getting that crackle again, okay. and I'll I'll yeah, I'm not sure why. No worries, just drop out and in again, and I'll um. I'll share my thoughts on it first. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I expected Iran to to come to the table and I expected Iran to be difficult to beat. I expected Iran to be uh, quite negative in their approach, quite defensive in their approach, and, and they didn't disappoint with the way that they set up. I was surprised that Asmoon was left on the substitutes bench. Obviously, uh, a really, really talented player, but somebody whose fitness was in question. Um, and, and so Iran opted to go the way they did. And I was actually quite pleased and, and, and you know, glad to see England go with a more attacking system, a more attacking formation. Myself and Dan talked about it last night. Were England going to go that way or were they going to revert back to the back five? And I know Dan had some thoughts about how maybe you should start the tournament the way you mean to go on. Let's see if we can get Dan back clearly. Dan, uh, give us a, a word. Let's see if you're if you're nice and clear now. Saka played well, didn't he? There we go. There we go. There we go. Yeah, go on. You you were saying we we thought this was going to be a much more difficult game for England than it turned out to be. Yeah, we we did. I mean, Aladdy mentioned that Iran had some better attacking players than perhaps in previous World Cups in terms of quantity. Um, In the first half, I think Iran were, were, were trying to look to get them in the game, but at the expense of being compact and the game got away from them really, really quickly. 
before the first goal, England only really looked a threat from set pieces, if I'm honest, whilst dominating the game. But then the floodgates opened and I was expecting Iran to make it much more difficult. So so I got that wrong. I, I thought it'd be a relatively low scoring game where England could potentially be frustrated. But once the floodgates opened, um, it was it was pretty relentless and comfortable from England and Iran offered very little, really. Um, they come out of it two goals, which was perhaps a bit of a false reality, if, I, if, if I'm honest. Maybe three chances in the whole football match, but they looked very light in midfield, defensively not solid. Obviously, they had some trouble with the goalkeeper early on, didn't they? But a disappointing, um, a disappointing and concerning performance for um, some of our Iran sporting colleagues. It must be said. Just, just on that goalkeeping situation, um, I mean. He looked out cold, didn't he, at one stage? I mean, the decision to let him continue was was madness. And a colleague of mine at 90 Min, Scott, who's out in Qatar, was obviously in the press box earlier today. And he tweeted something along the lines of, I've been told that the reason they're trying to keep him on is because the alternative isn't very good. Um, but, it, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll have a brief discussion around this concussion sub thing. I think at that point, it's got to be taken out of the player's hands, right? You're a player... You've been working your whole life to get to a World Cup finals. You don't want to give up easily, right? You're going to do everything you can to stay on the pitch. But when it's an incident like that, I mean, the first replay you saw, you could tell it was severe and you could tell that, you know, he'd come off in a bad way. Surely that decision has got to be taken out of the players' hands. And Iran deserve criticism, in my opinion, for not just withdrawing the player. Yeah, I mean, it's it's happened before, but not just with, with where a player hasn't been withdrawn, and you're absolutely right. The goalkeeper's been waiting for this moment all his life, and five minutes into the game, he's in trouble. He's not going to want to come off um, the football pitch. Obviously, that's what you've got the medical staff for. I think with the concussion subs, obviously, it's a, a recent innovation, isn't it? Um, and the whole stringent rules around concussion are relatively recent as well, maybe you know four to six years old. But I think this is just another thing that football and the governing bodies have got wrong. The system here is exacerbated because it's a goalkeeper. It's not like a player where you can take him off the pitch for five minutes, have a look at him and roll him back on and play with 10. You can't play Good about point. your goalkeeper. You could argue that Iran would have been just as well off um, without <laughs> a goalkeeper, if I'm perfectly honest. But the whole point of a concussion sub to me, the football have got wrong. What football have done here is you're allowed five substitutes now, which I find absolutely ridiculous. And because you've had a concussion event, you're now allowed six substitutes. That's not how it should work. The point of a concussion substitute to me should be, this guy has banged his head. You can have a free substitute for up to, let's say, 10 minutes to take him off the pitch and assess him and make a medical decision. You can't be making that decision in the middle of a penalty box. You've got 21 other players waiting around. So what minutes. about this, Dan? What, what about saying... You, the concussion substitute, so you're allowed an additional substitution only if you've made all your changes already. So if, if you've made your five changes and yeah, that yeah, happens, so that, then... Yeah, yeah. So that would be that would be fair. I mean, you'll get some unscrupulous people going down holding their head and all sorts of stuff. But, you know, that if there's a rule, there might be a way around it. So forget all that. But that would be a fair alternative. You've lost. You've lost. You've used your five subs. Someone's concussed. You have to take him off because the rules say so. But... I'd have an argument that if a goalkeeper got injured, you should be allowed to do that anyway because he's a goalkeeper. But as a general principle, with concussion or a blow to the head that looks severe, allow the team to make a sub for five to ten minutes so he can go on the side, be assessed, and the medical team 
without the pressure of having to restart the game, can make a quick decision and say, he's all right. No, he's not. You're not going back on. And it's a lot easier to get a player off the pitch from the side of a pitch. Do you know what I mean? Rather than have to drag him off from the middle of his penalty box. So I just think it's, I get, I get why I support it. You know, if someone's concussed, and you saw the goalkeeper, he went down again five minutes later. He, he wasn't at the races after that. He wasn't at the, the races of, before that either, to be fair. No, he come for one cross. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, he's one contribution to this World Cup was to knock the ball off of Raheem Sterling's head and he, he took a blow to the head for it. I did feel sorry for the lad, but yeah, concussion subs. What happened today was was wrong. Um dangerous. I don't I don't get all this, you know, you can People, you had Jermaine Janis talking about dementia. You get dementia from multiple blows to the head, arguably. Get all of that. You know, it's one blow to the head. Staying on is dangerous as a principle. We haven't got to overly dramatise it at this point. The fact is, take him off. Give them a free goalkeeper for five minutes, ten minutes. Get the game going. Assess him and then make a decision there. It's really simple. And it's um, it, it seems to be an unnecessary um, an, an unnecessary approach to it from, from the governing bodies, in my opinion. Come on then, let's do it. This is an Arsenal podcast. Let's talk Bukayo Saka. Um, you know, I've I've waxed lyrical about this guy for, for a couple of seasons now. Um, you know, I think he's a superb player. He's a credit to our football club. He's a a brilliant pro. He's, you know, he's gone to the World Cup and he's made an impact. And, and for me as an Arsenal fan, what was so nice about it and what was so positive about it was obviously remembering what happened to him at the Euros. You know, I've I've had this discussion over and over again. I don't think that he should have been put in that position by Gareth Southgate. He was, he missed, and the abuse he received off the back of that was horrendous. But to see him back at the next international tournament, playing such a big part for England, is is huge. So, you know, you're not an Arsenal fan, so I want to hear your sort of thoughts and assessment on his performance today and, and his level overall, I guess. Yeah, I mean, look, he had a, he had a really good last season, last season last season after that event. Um he went to Tottenham in a friendly, come off the bench and got applauded, um, which was quite exceptional, to be honest. I was, I was, I was, and I think that probably takes confidence quite a lot of good in a, in a weird sort of way. Um, and he's gone from strength to strength as a player since bursting on the scene where, you know, he's found his position now, hasn't he? At the beginning, he was playing some games at left back and, and all sorts of stuff. But in terms of the wide players England have got, he's the first name on the team sheet in, in those three behind for me. And today he, he, he showed us why. Um, what I liked about his performance today was from the first minute he was he wasn't subscribing to this cutting side and pass it five yard business he was trying to get beyond the full back he was very very positive um, both his goals a lot of confidence yeah the, the, you know the first one took a little deflection I think it was probably going in anyway it was certainly going on target but you know a lot of confidence to hit that on the volley good technique um, the second goal was a lad who was really enjoying himself so that ball should have been passed. It wasn't. He had the confidence. He wanted more. You know, he thought, I'm going to cut in and I'm going to put this in the bottom corner. There was there was players better placed, two players. He should, he, you know, he, he should be playing the ball there. But he was 3-4-0 up at the time. Really confident, towel up. Um, yeah, look, the, that particular shot was, was probably going wide, but he, he got his reward. And I think long term, that's what you want to see from a young player. You want to see them with that confidence. You know, you don't want them... Yeah, you know, you have to coach them to be more technical and retainable in certain situations, but you don't want to take that, you know, he's a very direct player. He wants to he wants to get in the box and support 
the attackers. He wants to have shots. He's, he's added goals to his game. At the beginning of the last season, when I spoke to you about Arsenal's chances finishing in the top four, what I said was didn't feel there was enough goals from mid- midfield. Um, but Saka contributed that last year, and there was a couple of others. Okay, they, they just fell short, but that wasn't that wasn't Saka's fault by any means. And this year he's carried that on. So I think he was he was England's best player. Um, aside from the two goals, I thought I thought Rice had a pretty good game. Um, in the midfield, there, if I'm honest. But, I thought Bellingham was was superb as well. Yeah, Bellingham. Bellingham um, Bellingham's a really really good player, isn't he? Um, he, he he's got a bit of everything. I tell you what, I liked about Bellingham while we're on Bellingham. Actually, because every time I've seen him speak, he's really mature um, mm. beyond his years, and he, he's quite measured. But what I liked about Bellingham is he's nineteen. He's opened the scoring um, in the World Cup in a game at that point. No one knows he's going to be a one-sided, you know, thrashing. And his celebration was really calm and measured. You know, um, Saka's was was a little bit more emotive, and that, I've got no issue with that whatsoever. But to see a 19-year-old with that level of maturity, you know, he didn't go yeah. absolutely bonkers, booting the corner flag and like diving into the crowd or whatever, like some some young kids would. It was really measured. His performance was mature. Um, you can only beat what's put in front of you. England did that quite comfortably. Um, but yeah, I think Saka, I don't know who was given the man of the match. Was it was it Saka? Saka, yeah, it was Saka. Yeah, he was, he was he was he was the best player on the on the part for me um, for sure. Um, I thought it was a pretty mature performance from England. What was um, uh, I thought I thought Kane had a good game. Sterling do you, do you Ex- explain why? Because look, I'm not saying he had a bad game, but I don't think he was as effective as he could have been. That's my opinion, and I've seen a lot of Arsenal fans on social media, as you'd expect, sort of poking fun at him off the back of England scoring six goals and him not getting any of them. So just explain a little bit about why. Yeah, so you, I think you think he had a good game. It, it's pretty, it it's pretty clear if you watch football and understand it what Gareth Southgate asked him to do in that game. You could tell by the positions he was taking up. Um, he was out wide an awful lot. Um, he was he he's he's been asked to link the play between the central midfield and and the two wingers Saka and Sterling. Um, that's a, a tactic that Gareth Southgate has deployed many times in the past, and that's what he was asked to do. Um, and he did that. He, you know, he very rarely. There's a couple of times you watch him, and um, yeah. you're sitting there, and you see a number nine, and you think, well, dart into the box and score goals. It is pretty clear that he's not been asked to do that. We all know Gareth. Um, we all know Harry Kane loves scoring goals. The fact he's not busting a gut to get in that box. Um, I've seen him play games for Tottenham where he's really frustrated and he's hitting shots from like 30 yards I've got no chance of going in. What he did today was he put in a team performance and um, he did what was asked of him for the benefit of the team. The team of 1-6-2. He's got a couple of assists. Um, in terms of some players like, um, you know, Raheem Sterling, really low in confidence. He, he's made a goal for him superbly. Towels up. Rashford off the bench. He's made a goal for him. Suddenly, there's players in the tournament that were probably feeling a little bit better today than they were yesterday. Rashford sitting there thinking, how many minutes am I going to get? I'm a bit out of form in front of the goal. Um, Harry Kane put in a really good team performance. So was, um, I was quite impressed with him. Harry Maguire had an OK game. I think the commentator overstated it a little bit, if I'm honest. At one point, the commentator said he had a good game apart from the goal. Well, unfortunately, you're the centre-half. You're there to prevent that goal. <laughs> and you're not going to score six against France and Argentina. So... 
Um, but I thought it was a, a you know a confidence boosting performance of him. Every player in that England team who you looked at and thought they might be a bit low on confidence, um, it was the perfect game for them. And now suddenly you've got fifteen or sixteen players in the squad you look at and think, well, they could contribute. Callum Wilson as well um, was really telling for me. And some people might think this is a really terrible point, but for me this is a big deal. Callum Wilson has come off the bench at 5-1. Yep. He's through on goal-ish. Any player in a World Cup, you know, is smashing that towards a goal. To show the maturity and selflessness, to cut that back for Grealish to score, I think was really, really mature. And I think that probably tells me that all is well in the camp. You watch um, the fourth goal, England's, Saka's goal was the fourth goal, yeah? So Saka's second goal. If you watch the way Harry Kane runs to celebrate with Saka, Saka should have passed Kane the ball, by the way, and he didn't. Um, he cut inside, took an extra touch, one touch too many, had a shot, it's deflected in, fantastic. But if you watch the way Harry Kane celebrated that goal, there was nothing about Harry Kane that said, I'm not happy I haven't scored this. I'm the main man, you should be passing to me. There was well, none of that. He's, at, he's probably angling for a move to the Premier League champions elect, so that's probably, that's probably why he wants to make mates with Bukayo, you know? Maybe, but I think Man City have spent their money. But you know, <laughs> uh, but but so so, and then you look at Callum Wilson. He stood up. He was told to sit back down on the bench. He was told to stand up again, and he still got the not panicking, thinking these might be my only minutes. Let me get a goal. Let me let me get myself ahead above Rashford, who's already scored. You know, there was none of that. So that tells me that tells me that there's a good camp there and a good spirit. So there's a lot of positives from England. I sorted out of that, and I, I hope that makes sense. And as a, as a point, um, some people will think I'm, you know, talking nonsense, picking on a five-yard pass. But that, to me, that's a big deal. We do have to curb it a bit, though, don't we? Because Iran are really, really poor. I mean, I watched Ecuador, Qatar yesterday, as we discussed. And, you know, I think most of us at that point would have said, you'd be hard-pressed to find a worse side than Qatar in this tournament. And I'm not saying that Iran definitely are, because it's only one game in and things could change. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. But they were really, really bad, I thought, today. Like, as good as England were, and they were. And you can only beat what's in front of you, and you've got to take your chances. And all of that stuff that we hear over and over again, this was a really, really poor opponent. And, you know, it, it, there were things, there were, you mentioned, you know, there were some vulnerabilities on show that England just need to tighten up a little bit moving forward. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's got to be curbed. You know, England fans do this a lot after a big win. It was a really good performance. Their beat that was put in front of them. In the same way, you've got to curb it. You haven't got to be over picky as well. We could sit here and say, mm. well, they conceded twice. Um I mean, the second one, I mean, that's, Christ, you know, that's one of my issues with VAR there, where two things in the same game 
I don't mind. I don't want all this. Well, this happened in this game. That happened in that game. Is inconsistent. But at least be consistent in the same game to give that second one and not the first. Oh, one. agreed. Agreed. I think it's madness. And ultimately, they gave it because they probably looked at that and thought it's going to make no difference. Uh, yeah, and I found that a bit odd. But anyway, aside from that, um, there was a couple of times Iran got in behind, um, which will be which will be concerning. And it's because Iran was so poor for most of the game. You see a chance or two of think you shouldn't even be giving that away. Yeah. But on the whole, um, nobody's played badly. People have got minutes. Players who are out of form have scored goals. So I think there's a lot of positives to come out of the game. That will be the easiest game England played this tournament, isn't it? They make no mistake yeah. about that. Um, but it's a good start. It's it's six goals. It's a bit of momentum. It happened in the last World Cup, didn't it? Six against Panama and started to gain a bit of momentum. Can can England play this formation? We had a lot a long discussion yesterday about the formation, about the system, about whether England's fragilities at centre half meant that Gareth Southgate had to stick with the back three that he's played with in previous tournaments. And I think some people were expecting that again today. Some people were expecting to see that system deployed. And he didn't do that. He went with the more expansive 4-3-3, went with the extra. Uh, sort of midfielder in there. Is that something that he can categorically stick to for the remainder of the tournament now, however far England go? Or will there come a point, do you think, where Gareth Southgate goes, hold on, we're now playing a France, a Brazil, an Argentina, whatever, a, a much higher rank inside, a side that you would probably make favourites. Can he continue this way? Does he have to continue this way? Or do you expect him at some point to go, Ah, hold on a minute. I can't get away with Maguire and Stones in this one. Let's add a reinforcement. That's the biggest issue as a manager is when you change to something and it works, the, the, the gamble of changing back and the wrath you incur that goes wrong is, um, is big. I would say I would be concerned about that setup against against a Brazil. Um, Iran got in behind a couple of times. Brazil, France will get in five or six times, and five or six times might be all it takes with clinical strikers. You know, the the fact England scored six makes the whole game absolutely irrelevant, to, to be perfectly honest. But, you know, the chance Asmoon got at the end that Pickford saved superbly onto the bar, mm. a decent opposition, Pickford doesn't get a chance to tip that anywhere. So yeah. the, the, the ball behind Maguire was relatively simple. Maguire's going to miss a game now. It looks like he prefers Dyer in that position. We know Dyer's a slouch and can't really play in a four. So I would be concerned if he started a game like that against a big team because it's a, it's a lot easier to fall behind with five at the back and then switch to a four and go and chase the game. If you fall behind with a four at the back, you've got nowhere to go. Um, so I would like to see if um, if England beat uh, USA on Friday morning. I'd like to see Southgate use the last game to experiment a different formation while he's got a free hit. Um, if I was an England fan, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see that rather than okay, get so, the knockout stages. Not be so. Sure. What basically? Let's take it on to to USA. Um, they they played against Wales this evening. It ended in a one-one draw. It was very much a game of two halves, wasn't it? The first half was all one-way traffic. USA were far superior, I thought, in every department. I was really impressed by them. Yeah. In the second half, Wales managed to kind of 
wrestle back some control and in the end got the equaliser that their second half performance probably deserved. What, what did you make of this game? What was your kind of analysis of it? I felt like the occasion got to Wales at the start and they really struggled to kind of find their rhythm and, and USA were at it and were were sharp and, and were less phased, I guess. Maybe it's because they've got such a young side. Maybe it's because there's, you know, that fearlessness that comes with being, you know, relatively inexperienced at this level, you know, and I'm not talking about, you know, Wales haven't been at World Cups, but this Welsh team have been in and around big competitions and tournaments a lot more recently than they have done in years gone by. So I didn't expect them to be as overawed by the occasion as as they were. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I think I think there was a bit of being overawed, clearly, you know, the whole national pride, the whole national pride thing and all, and all the build-up. But you expect players to overcome that. So, you know, Gareth Bale's won ex-Champions League, five, four. He's won a lot of Champions League titles. Aaron Ramsey's and played at a high level and, you know, uh, and won, won some silverware. So there's some big, there's some big, there's some big players there. You know, Ben Davis has played in a, a Champions League final. There, there's some big, there's some players there who've played in big football matches. So you'd expect there to be enough there. We're not talking about one player. We're talking about three or four players who have played in high level football matches. So I was surprised. Um, USA settled really well. And at half time, I, I looked at it and I thought, well, they're the best team I've seen so far in terms of, I was really impressed with the way they controlled the game, not just creating a few chances and looking good, but they controlled the game and played 80% of it in the Welsh half. Was it as simple as Wales couldn't hold the ball up? And when Kiefer Moore came on at half-time, it, it, it gave them an out-ball, which meant they could bring in the likes of Ramsey. Um, Dan James had gone off at that point, and he was sacrificed in favour of Kiefer Moore. But clearly the formation didn't work for Wales. They couldn't hold the ball up. They couldn't get out. Um and I think that change in momentum, if you look at the second half in reality, it was probably just a 15-minute spell for Wales where yeah. they dominated. Then the game was even for the last 15 to 20 minutes, I would say, and, and Wales obviously got their penalty, which which was a foul and, and dispatched. But ultimately, Kiefer Moore came on. He gave them a an extra dimension. Um, it enabled... The He's enabled got a start against Iran now, hasn't he? Off the back of what you saw today. Yeah, even though it's Iran, I think the blueprint the blueprint is there that says Gareth Bale. Gareth Bale had a poor game, by the way. Um, yeah, I was going to say that. I was going to come on to that. I thought it was really poor. Yeah, I thought he had a, a really poor game. Um, I thought his touch was off. His, his passing, the weight of his passes were off. Um, he won the penalty because he got to the ball first. And, and ultimately, that, that's what got Wales their point, And he dispatched it really, really well. And no issue with that. But he, his overall play wasn't great. Aaron Ramsey couldn't really get in the game. He did a little bit more in the second half. But what I saw there was Gareth Bow isn't going to run a ball down on his own um, anymore. Dan James isn't going to hold a ball up for all his pace. So unless someone's going to hold the ball up to bring one of the ball players into play to spring James and Bow have got their space. So ideally, you're going to want Kiefer Moore to hold the ball up, bring Ramsey into play, you can play a pass into one of the other two wingers. Without Kiefer Moore, that doesn't work. Um, so I think that changed it. They got a bit of momentum. They got a bit of belief. They were attacking in their own fans. It was a, it was a sea of red behind that goal. I think all those elements equalised and even the game out, and they deserved their point. But yeah, against Iran, um, I think they have to start that way. They yeah. might get away with it against Iran, but but why take why take a chance? You know, they've got a yeah. point now. If they can beat Iran, let's assume Iran are going to lose all three games, and I, I don't like saying that because. 
for, for a couple of reasons. Alavi being one, and I'd like to see Iran do okay. And, but they've got to beat Iran by more goals than USA beat Iran by. That's ultimately what it's that's ultimately yeah. what it's going to come down to. And they can't afford to waste the half trying to find their feet. We've seen Iran, even against England, they've got a goal in them. Um, and if a team go 1-0 up with something to hold on to, you might then see Iran be a little bit more robust. So they've definitely got to start that way to answer your question, in my, in my opinion. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Um, as we said, pleasantly surprised by what we saw from from the US. Um, just, I think like I was trying to kind of figure out sort of my feelings on this game at the full-time whistle because there was a part of me that went, they were so good in the first half. They were so much better in the first half. They will be majorly disappointed that they didn't come away with all three points. And I think that's still relevant. I, st- I still think that sort of within their circles, they'll be saying, you know, that was that was an opportunity missed, a real big opportunity missed. But at the same time, was it unrealistic of me to expect them to control a game for its entirety? As you said, there was probably a 15, maybe 20 minute spell where Wales were were definitely on top. They still controlled the majority of it, but they probably weren't clinical enough. They probably didn't have the enough cutting edge and, and didn't create really enough clear cut chances when it mattered. And um and, and so I think it's something that they gotta look at and, and hopefully for their sake they can fix moving forward. Um let's take it on to Netherlands uh against Senegal. I mean, first of all, I just gotta quickly make this point. What's driving me insane is reading the attendance reports coming out of all of these stadiums, attendances that are bigger numbers than the actual capacities of those stadiums. And then to top it all off, I'm watching a game that's being played in a stadium that is nowhere near more than three quarters full. So I don't know where they're getting these numbers from. It's absolutely mad. Um, They reported a higher attendance in that game between Senegal and Netherlands than the stadium A fits and and also it was it was half empty. You could they see that have, on they, TV. They must have the Emirates Stadium announcer there. He's been at it. <laughs> He's got that every week. 60,000. 60, Thank you for your continued support. And there's about 10,000 MPCs. They've probably got him. Do you know they've probably got to count it? The same guy who's um the same guy who's putting up the injury time. Yeah. I remember saying, I was saying to Mr. So, Beluka, I was like, oh no, the game's finished in two minutes. About 20 minutes later, I'm still watching it because there's been like 18 minutes added on. And I'm sitting there thinking, I, I got the first half in the England-Iran game. I was like, well, when, when 14 went up, I remember thinking it was only about eight to 10 minutes. And then the second half, it was like nine added on. And I'm like, where's that come from? And then it happened again in the in the, in the Netherlands game. And I was like, did I miss, did I miss something? I'm, I'm a bit tired. Was there, a, was there a stoppage? And then it got to the Wales game and there was like nine minutes added on again. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is a theme for this World Cup. Is there some kind of... So I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you what it is. I, I, someone mentioned this to me earlier today and I, I went back and had a look at it. There was some sort of communication that said that what they were going to try and do at this World Cup was better reflect the amount of stoppages in a game. The suggestion was and is that in the past they haven't they haven't added the right amount of time and the game's been stopped for much longer and because of sort of the trend and the way things were going and the way things were previously, there was almost a fear to go, oh yeah, you know what, actually we were stopped for 10, 11 minutes. And so there's a an emphasis on trying to make sure that they give teams back all of that time. I mean, my solution to this for years has been make it a 60 minute match and stop the clock every time the ball goes out of play or there's a stoppage. Simple as that. 
No injury time, none of it. Yeah, you Simple. can. That's, if that's what you want to achieve, then that's a better way of doing it than just yeah. without yeah. any real warning to anyone watching. You know, I had stuff to do. I had mm. a tight schedule. I was like, this game's going to be finished at quarter past four. It's still going on at 10 to five. Yeah. Big, big, so it was a bit odd. But um, yeah, Senegal, Holland. It was all right. Go for it. It was all right. Um, I enjoyed the first half. I was quite impressed with Senegal for a losing side. Um, to be honest, I thought they played quite well in the first half. Did, did Netherlands just about shade it? Probably, but they weren't. They weren't overly impressive. Um, they'll get out of that group at a canter. Um, Gapco played played well. I know I spoke about him briefly yesterday. He had a, he had a decent game. He got he got his goal. Um, but it was okay. It was an entertaining. It was an entertaining game. But I didn't see anything from the Netherlands. I didn't see anything from the Netherlands that said um, you'd be looking to avoid them in the second in in, in the second round. I suppose mm. so. If England were to finish second in the group by some freak, and there's English supporters watching, and you end up with Netherlands, I never saw anything that made me that concerned. Yeah. Um, I agree with Virgil that. Virgil van Dijk had a really strange game that was noticeable. Um, I must say, I'm trying not to judge him against his peak form because he was exceptional a couple of seasons ago. So I don't want to be harsh, but he does seem to have dropped off a little bit and doesn't look as um, he doesn't look as assured and as as comfortable. His positional sense seems to be a little bit off, which was a bit a bit weird, a bit of a side note. But yeah, nothing special from Netherlands. But based on what I've seen in Group A. Uh, you know, I'd expect Senegal to still have a chance of, of of maybe getting out of that group and beating the other two sides. Yeah, I was I was quite impressed by Senegal in periods. I, I thought they looked a lot better than maybe I'd given them credit for. I know they're the African champions, but I thought you know there were just signs that you know things click. If they had Sadio Mane, for example, I know they don't, and so it's a moot point. But just having that extra little bit of quality in the final third could have made all the difference. Because looking at the statistics from the match possession was 53% in Netherlands' favour. You'd have expected them to dominate the ball more. I would have anyway. Yeah. Uh, in terms of shots, it was 15 for Senegal and just 10 for the Netherlands. Four on target for Senegal, three for the Netherlands. So in terms of the statistics, I thought it was pretty even. I thought the eye test told me that it was even as well. Uh, someone in the chat says that I've got it wrong with the attendances. I, I, I'll give you the exact figures now. So in the three World Cup matches before USA-Wales, the official attendances have been 67,372 in a stadium with a capacity of 60,000, 45,334 in a stadium that only holds 40,000, and 41,721 in a stadium that only holds 40,000. So that's what I'm talking about. Where are those numbers coming from? What it's was he in, uh, What was he tennis in the first game? In the first game, the, the Qatar game, yeah. it was sixty-seven thousand three hundred seventy-two apparently, but it only fits sixty thousand in the stadium. Yeah, that's so. Yeah. It's there was a lot of empty seats. Yeah, yeah. There was maybe loads of empty seats. Maybe they counted people's fingers instead of. Yeah, God knows. It, it, I mean, it's not that big a deal, but it just it, it mystifies me. Yeah, it just it, it just baffles me how people do that and think that nobody's going to notice and everybody's just going to go, oh, yeah, you know what? That's all right. Either you gave us the wrong figures when you were giving us the capacities of each of these new stadiums. I don't know. 
But it just it makes me laugh that they think that nobody's going to pick up on that and everybody's just going to be like, okay, cool, no problem. <laughs> it's mad. It's mad. Uh, we're going to leave it there, guys. We're going to leave it there. Uh, we've been going for just over half an hour. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to keep bringing you uh, this um, this content, of course, during the World Cup. Um, really, really looking forward to continuing that, especially as the tournament heats up a little bit. Um, Don Juan is uh, making the DeLuca point. What's your point, Harry? I've seen Arsenal and City games which have done the same. Yeah, I, there's loads of Arsenal games, for example, where they report to you the number of tickets sold and that is often more than what actually turns up. But how can you sell more tickets than the stadium actually holds? There's something not right about that. There's something dishonest about that. And at the very least, that's something that we should be questioning. Man City just don't have fans to sell tickets to. So uh, that's a that's a different uh, different kettle official together. But guys, as I say, thank you so, so much for tuning in. Uh, England off to a flyer. Netherlands getting three points on the board. Wales coming back from behind to earn a draw against the USA. And Bukayo Saka is the joint top scorer in the World Cup. What's not to like? We'll be back tomorrow with some more reaction to another day of football. Until then, take care. Cheers. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.